1: Following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the great white north and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard.
0: And welcome to another episode of Strange Planet and thanks for sticking me in your ear. Great to have you with us. On this edition, my conversation with a sociologist who studies subtle energy sciences. He'll discuss his latest work examining remote viewing, one of my favorite topics, crop formations, UFOs, and related subjects. And um, he says that there are underlying scientific principles connecting these various phenomena, having to do with things like resonance and, We're also perhaps going to touch on uh, parallel realities. Dr. Simeon Hine is the director of the Nonprofit Institute for Resonance in Boulder, Colorado. The institute is devoted to the study of subtle energy sciences, including remote viewing, crop circles, and related subjects. Dr. Hine has a PhD in sociology and has previously taught research methodology at Washington State University. He first learned remote viewing in 1996 and subsequently became involved in crop circle research. And he believes that all crop circles, regardless of their origin, create energetic effects by virtue of their shape and the subtle interaction between humans, plants, and sacred geometry. In addition to assisting with Institute for Residence Crop Circle tours, he continues to offer online remote viewing classes His most recent book is Black Swan Ghosts, a sociologist encounters witnesses to unexplained aerial aircraft, their occupants, and other elements of the multiverse. Dr. Simeon Hine, welcome aboard. How are you?
2: Hi, Richard. Thanks a lot for having me here today. And by the way, my most recent book, it just came out, is actually Dark Matter Monsters. I just have to correct that there. Ah. Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Signs of Secret Life Forms. And it just continues. Uh, it just continues on from the other books you just mentioned in that wonderful uh, introduction. Ah, dark matter monsters, cryptids, ball lightning, and the science of secret life forms. You got it. I just you got it. Uh,
0: just in July.
2: Oh, you know about this? Okay, so yeah, it continued from Black Swan Ghosts, and and, and you're probably wondering all of these topics. I how do you do this? I mean, why? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's because that there's a very interesting. Science behind all of this, starting from remote viewing, like you mentioned, and all these other topics in, in Simeon's world, these are connected, right, by deep scientific principles. Yeah.
0: So, um, subtle energies. First of all, I, let me just back up a minute because I'm I'm always fascinated when someone comes from a particular um, discipline. You're a sociologist. How you how did you get into this whole field coming from sociology? I don't
2: necessarily equate the two. No, no, it's it's a it's a good question, Richard. I mean, I used to teach statistics. I guess my highest rank in university was assistant professor. And uh, I just decided, you know, you get these feelings in life that you should pursue a different direction. I just felt like this wasn't necessarily the right direction for me to go in just to be you know, kind of ordinary academic university type person in a sociology department. Um, Who knows what plans the universe has for us, right? And I I had been living in Boulder, Colorado, back in 1996. Um, a couple of friends had just mentioned this town and I visited and I just felt like I should be here for some reason. So I, I moved here and I, I was only here a couple of weeks weeks and I heard... Uh, Dr. Courtney Brown of the Farsight Institute, Uh, he was a professor at Emory University, still active, and uh, he was talking about remote viewing on the local community radio station here, KGNU. And I just felt this was the strangest thing I had ever heard, the idea that people could perceive, you know, events and locations and activity at a distance, you know, that this had been a part of a classified government program. I was a bit incredulous, but I also was curious. So I just felt like, you know, if I'm a modern sort of open-minded person, I should take a class in it and make my mind up based on the evidence. And that's how what got me started in all these different subjects.
0: I um, I had a late night radio program and, and uh, I did a series of I guess maybe half a dozen remote viewing ex- experiments live on the air, and uh, I have no training. Um, although I don't know, you know, how necessary that is. But I, I and I had uh, someone sort of on the other end of the telephone, you know, hundreds of miles away, with an object on his desk, and he kind of gave me some simple instructions. You know, don't let my mind get in the way.
2: And I right. don't know
0: whether it was beginner's luck, but. Uh, I had, you know, I I had some pretty good hits, some pretty accurate hits. One time it was a, a, a model airplane, another time it was something as simple as an orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, do you need? Is this an innate ability? Do you think, uh, or is it uh, that that we all have, and that or and that we can we can further develop it, or is it something that you can
2: simply learn to do? Well, it's a little bit of both. Um, it's innate, but it's something we don't know we have. So we don't explore it very much, uh, at least not openly. And that's why people take classes. They get some instruction. could even be a friend who knows how to do it, giving you the instruction. And it's surprising how accurate it is Right, that you can get colors and shapes and sizes more than you would expect if you were just guessing. I think anyone who's done this will see you get more than you get. Would expect just from random guessing of color shapes and sizes. And Jessica Utz, who's a, you know, formerly one of the the highest ranked statistician in the world, uh, she was president of the American Statistical Association, uh, came to that same conclusion when she was evaluating the remote viewing program for Congress in 1995. And based on her statistics from a very limited number of sessions that she was given access to not very many. Uh, it certainly didn't qualify as the most scientific study ever, but based on her examination of the data, people were getting about 33% accurate hits compared to what she thought you would get if you were guessing, which would be 25%. So that's an 8% difference consistently session after session. That's a lot of, 8% is a lot. If then uh, you would expect if this didn't really work. So you know you're getting this information, and you kind of, as you've experienced it, I, I had the same reaction in ninety six, you kind of wonder, how am I doing this? how did, where's the information coming from? Because I'm not conscious of it. And that's what's really interesting. It's not something coming from your conscious mind. It comes from some other place in the universe, Ingo Swan, who created the CRV system for the government under contract at Stanford Research. Uh, Institute, as it was called back then in the 70s, uh, he called it, he came up with the name remote viewing. And uh, he said he believed there was like a matrix, a space time matrix, where everything that existed had a perhaps had a frequency or a location, and that you could access this when you were doing RV. So it it I, it started me wondering how do how does this work, and of course, it leads you to other topics, which now your mind's a little more open than it was when you were in school, and you're kind of wondering, well if RV's true and nobody told me about it, what else is true that they didn't tell me about <laughs> exactly exactly
0: yeah. you yeah. mentioned uh, ingo swan and and uh, you know russell Targ and yeah. and um uh, Hal put off all at Stanford doing this incredible work um and there was you know, this Pentagon program, supposedly, to uh, to recruit and, and train these uh, psychic warriors. Mm-hmm. And then they shut the program down, or so they claimed, and they said, well, we yeah. weren't getting any success. Do you believe that? And do you believe they actually did shut it down?
2: Well, did it work? It did, it obviously worked because people were giving very high medals. The Joe Joe McMonical, viewer number one, as he was called, who worked mostly on the East Coast but did come out to SRI sometimes, uh, he worked directly with the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency. Um, he was given a Legion of Merit award purely for remote viewing, and it's in uh, Ed May's book, ESP Wars: East and West. And you can see the the award. It, it says something. I I don't think this is exactly correct, but something like 150 essential elements of intelligence. From 200 sessions or something like that, or maybe it's the other way around, but anyway, you know, that's the highest peacetime medal that the Pentagon can give to uh, a civilian. So they wouldn't give you that medal if they didn't feel like it worked. And if you read to the hit, you read the history of RV, even going back into the 90s, Richard, there was a great book and similarly titled documentary. Based on Jim Schnabel's research, just called remote viewers, and he went into you know case after case where really accurate results were obtained, um, and actions were taken based on those results to find hostages or recover missing planes. Um, you know, find information about classified Soviet. And chinese research sites and so forth so if you look into the history of it there there are a lot of cases where they really nailed it and it was provided useful information and i think you know part of the reason this seems hard to believe is classified programs have a way of remaining obscure even after they're declassified it wasn't it didn't end it to go to the second part of your question because it didn't work it's the issue of social stigma and that came up in the UAP task Force report just this uh, earlier this year uh, in May when the task force said that their social stigma was a major barrier to people reporting UFOs within the military. Well it, it, it applies to all these topics, which is why you know as a sociologist, I'm so fascinated by all this right. is why is something that empirically is real? You can look at the data, you can see the results, The best statisticians that have looked at it have concluded it's real. Why are these topics considered to be woo-woo, as they're called, right? Exactly. Yeah. And what is going on with that? I think our audience can agree, too. It's really interesting. Why are some topics, even though there's a lot of evidence for them, all of these topics that we call paranormal, and you just get the same thing happening over and over again, year after year, decade after decade, right? Thousands and thousands of witnesses. You name the topic. There are thousands and thousands of credible witnesses. But why is it hard for people to talk about this? And and, and it gets worse. The further up you go into these bureaucracies, especially government bureaucracies, the less people want to talk about it because they feel it might impact their career uh, paths. It's not career enhancing, quote unquote, right? And so I think this answers your question of why Congress canceled it. It didn't seem to be based on the evidence, even though the other person that evaluated the the, the same results that Jessica did, uh, Ray Hyman, who's now passed on a former, I think a psychology professor. I mean, he looked at the data and said, this works, there's, there's no doubt that this shows that something's going on, but we don't know why. So therefore I'm not gonna recommend supporting the continuation of the program. And Jessica Utz also admitted, She said, I can't evaluate if this was operationally useful in the field, but it's clear that results were going on. You know, I mean, they're getting results that are indicative of a real effect. But I think the real reason they ended it, if you go back to the 90s, you know, William Proxmire, the senator that was looking for wasteful government spending and so forth. You know, there's always this climate in Washington, D.C. of wanting to kind of cut programs that are going to make, it's going to make you look good for cutting them. Right. And I think that's what's going on there. It's, it's easy to attack programs like this. It makes you, it's an easy way to score some points with your boss is to cut these programs and your your the voters. Right. I, I eliminated a million, a a $20 million program. Wow. Big deal. That's how much they spend on paper clips in one week at the Pentagon. Okay. (laughs) But, but that's what these people, the politicians and bureaucrats are motivated by other, I'm going to say this is a sociologist, Richard, Bureaucrats and politicians are motivated by other motivations than pure science or even operational effectiveness. They're motivated by public opinion. And they can manipulate the public into being suspicious of these topics. And it's sort of an easy thing to pick on that would be my explanation of why oh, I think
0: you're spot on I'm sure yes.
2: I'm sure yes. yes. <laughs> uh,
0: you, you mentioned like you know the data and and uh, Russell Targ is always fond of saying that there's more evidence uh, for the existence of psychic abilities than there's evidence that bare aspirin cures headaches it's true yeah
2: he's yeah. right no no I can tell you this as a former statistician you look at the evidence for pharmaceutical treatments even things like aspirin, and you don't get the statistical significance that you do from these RV experience, experiments. Uh, statistical significance is just how confident are you in the results? You get a certain result. Something works three out of five times, or with RV, you get 33% hit rate. But then how confident are you in that statement? And there's a way to evaluate that uh, using something called you know, a P statistic. And uh, it's... Uh, it's more significant with rv than a lot of these pharmaceuticals which often don't have a lot of statistical significance because there's so much variation by which person gets the treatment and so forth but that's not what makes things real for us there's you know huge lobbying efforts and you know corporate manipulation astroturfing all these things that are designed to affect public opinion especially even in social media right where we've heard about these fake Uh, Twitter accounts, Facebook accounts, right, where it's just designed to manipulate, or maybe it's even just a robot generating messages, and it's uh, designed to manipulate public opinion. So our reality is more shaped by these social forces than the actual truth of these topics. And I think that's what Russell Targa is getting at, is he can... I've heard him Russell talk so many times in person. He's come to Boulder. I've been to the IRVA conferences, International Remote Viewing Association. He gives great presentations. He does. But do people want to listen or do they just sort of want to play the game? Now, I just have to say one thing really quickly. I think it's changing just because of the UFO issue and what's going on in Congress right now. Those Congress people look a little perturbed and upset. The people that have seen these classified videos from the classified briefings, we know they're classified briefings because in this meeting last May, They asked some of these folks from the Pentagon and they say, we don't want to talk about that now. We'll talk about it in the closed session this afternoon when the cameras were turned off. They're definitely having closed sessions. And I bet they're hearing things that, I mean, you and I have been hearing and talking about amongst each other with our friends and listeners and so like forth for over de-
0: uh, UFOs over nuclear sites and Scott Brake, you know, hey, is exactly. completed.
2: I've never heard of that before. Right. No, my God, right. for decades. And these guys are, these our con- Congress people, at least in the US, you know, I mean, I don't know what's going on in Canada, but uh, it's, uh, they're, they're, they're I, I think they would like to talk to someone about this after they've been in these briefings, but they can't. So they can't talk to you. They can't talk to me or anyone else. So, I think it will change just because if you look at the history of science and social change over hundreds of years, things do change over centuries, and we might be one in, in one of those periods right now, uh, you could call it a Kunian revolution. Um, you know, where where the evidence just builds up so much that you have to change your paradigm. It could be that. It it just could be that things change over time. And this could be one of those time periods.
0: All right. We'll take a quick time out. More of my conversation with Dr. Simeon Hine right after these. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from. And why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the Dead Files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love Tales of the Paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead
1: Files, wherever you get your podcasts. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as self-evident. You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
0: Dr. Simeon Hine, director of the Nonprofit Institute for Resonance in Boulder, Colorado. The new book is Dark Matter Monsters, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Science of Secret Life Forms. Just out this summer. Just a few weeks ago, in fact. So, um, remote viewing, then there's, uh, there's CRV, which is Coordinate Remote Viewing. Do you use is there any protocol that use? Do you use coordinates?
2: Yeah, I do. I learned the Ingo Swan system. I I, I like the CRV system. People have different methods for doing RV. Uh, Ingo was the one that insisted on using coordinates because he got bored of looking at things in boxes. That's how they started, put (laughs) up in TARG with Yuri Geller and Ingo, who Hmm. was their next subject, was they put something in a box. You know, it could be a plant or a a moth i think ingo was the one that picked up a moth one time because it was fluttering but there's only so many things you can put in a box richard and it it, the psych the psychic person let me put it this way the person doing the receiving of the psychic signal they need to be interested in this and ingo found it much more interesting to put his mind anywhere in the world and later the universe because he viewed distant planets mars and uh like Jupiter and things like this. And um, I I forget, he he viewed one of the planets before Voyager got there and saw rings and so forth. Um, But he was the one who said, let's try map coordinates. And they didn't want to do it, but he was about to storm out of there and go back to New York City when they said, okay, we'll try it, you know, and it worked. And then they got this criticism uh, from people in the intelligence agency, maybe I think they're called didactic people. They can memorize coordinates really easily. There are people like this who just have a perfect memory. So they said, you know, maybe he's memorized the whole map, right? Uh, I mean, there's a guy in Boulder who's memorized all the zip codes in the US. He does a show out on the wall, Dave, the zip code guy. He he took my RV <laughs> class, by the way, and I see him occasionally. He knows every zip code in the US and every town. And he can perform, right? You can tell him your town. He can give you the zip code or vice versa. Um, but... To meet that criticism, they just changed to random coordinates put on folders and just instead of putting a picture in a folder, they would, uh, you know, of a location, they would put a picture of anything uh, or uh, even a sentence of an event, even in the future, right? And still worked. So uh, that's how they came up with coordinates. And that's what I learned. And that's what I'm comfortable with. I mean, I've had discussions with people that don't use the CRV system who don't like Ideograms and coordinates and all that, or just don't like having stages and phases the way Ingo designed it. But you know, it, I've I just learned it that way, and and the people I've taught, the students I've taught for the last 25 years, it's 25 years now, I've been teaching this. Um, they seem to do okay with it. So, let's
0: talk about some of the underlying scientific principles uh, that might explain how remote viewing works. Resonance. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that.
2: Well, we're all familiar with resonance because it's the basis of modern electronics, radio signals, and so forth. I mean, it's just like having tuning forks, right? If you have two tuning forks that are the same uh, note and you hit one of the tuning forks, the other one will start vibrating and you can bring more tuning forks into the room, they'll all start vibrating. But that resonance is not being generated uh, just by you hitting the tuning fork it's it's resonating off the the electromagnetic field of the the universe and that's how radio works and that's why when we're listening to a wireless signal you know your neighbors can turn on their radio and and as many people as, as who want to can turn on the same radio can tune to the same radio station but it won't decrease the volume If it was just a purely electromagnetic function, the the energy from the antenna, the broadcasting, it would be diluted as more people listen to it. But it doesn't because it's actually bouncing off the background, you know, electromagnetic fields of the universe. And that's an infinite amount of energy. So so it's that kind of resonance that we're talking about, you know, tuning into a signal. Now, if it literally, I'm not sure it literally works like that. It's not like literally, you know, Upton Sinclair, the, uh, The writer who wrote about meatpacking plants and things like that Mm. in the 1920s, uh, one of the muckrakers, right, who wrote about social conditions, he actually wrote a book called Mental Radio. Ah. And he compared it to radio because he was interested in psychic functioning also. Uh, But it's not, I don't think anyone thinks it's literally like a radio, but it's something like that where the signal is there and you can tune your your body, your mind to a different frequency. Again, going back to Ingo's idea of a matrix, you know, whatever, whatever analogy works for you. I'm not saying I know exactly how that works, but you're tuning to some other signal than the room that's around you right now. You're tuning to something else and you're picking up on it because it exists and it's generating some sort of frequency and you can pick that up. Even if it's at a you know, a non-electromagnetic signal. Something's there and you can pick it up because you're part of the universe. And, you know, it fits Edgar Mitchell's idea of this kind of holographic uh, quantum holography, as he called it. Right. Um, There's different ideas about it, but it all comes down to the same sort of thing, which is that you're some sort of, you are a being that is bigger than the space of your body or the, the the top the lifespan that you have you're something bigger than that that can pick up on a lot more than you thought right. i think that's what it indicates
0: right yeah yeah um rupert sheldrake i remember uh, you know the, the sense of being stared at uh does that operate on the same principle do you think that people you know you people have a sense of when when people are
2: looking at them even if they're 100 yards behind them right so i think there's a couple things going on here uh the RV part is non local, and that's some sort of connection from seemingly at a distance. The sense of being stared at, I mean, it could overlap with that. To me, that seems more like uh either picking up a biological energy field or uh because Sheldrake was into this idea of what he called morphic resonance, right? Mm. So it is the same sort of idea, but how it actually works at a biological level, whether it's the same thing as RV, we can't definitively say, but what Sheldrake was pointing out is that you pick up resonance of other beings in your vicinity, even if your physical senses aren't looking at them. And he did a lot of research showing that dogs would get excited before their owners come home, even if the owners leave work randomly at different times, exactly. they still start getting excited before yeah. they're in. So they're picking up on this. That's a type of resonance. I mean, anyone who has a pet would understand this. They have, you know, they're you're kind of in resonance with you. And, you know, when you're away from them, you're kind of thinking about them and they're thinking about you. That's a type of resonance. So it could be with a partner too, a human partner. Uh, These are all interrelated. I think these are interrelated ideas. And and one thing I want to bring in from Dark Matter Monsters is we do know about a type of particle now that could be involved with this that I didn't know about before last year. And these are relic cold neutrinos that our universe is flooded with that are the remnants of the Big Bang. Right. But they have a wavelength that's big enough to interact with biological material, unlike solar neutrinos, which are really tiny and really fast and don't interact with us and are streaming in from the sun. But they don't really matter because they're so small, they don't interact with us. But these relic neutrinos from the cosmic background uh, radiation are big enough and slow enough and abundant enough to interact with us biologically all the time, at least when you're outside. they they are stopped by physical objects. So that I'm just suggesting this because I didn't know about this. And I I put it in dark matter monsters, just because it's another mechanism that biological organisms can communicate and interact. It even explains something like PK psychokinesis, which I've seen demonstrations of it's real. And I've been told by people that worked in the Pentagon, that they observed Soviet PK experiments, and it's real. They know about it, but they decided not to tell us. But I've talked to them, and it's in in dark matter. I put it in dark matter monsters because I got permission to do this. Uh, That type of phenomena, psychokinesis, kind of going, Richard, one step beyond RV into actually physically affecting something at a distance. It's like a continuum. You can probably imagine this. The, the next level on the continuum is actually affecting something at a distance. That does seem. I'm. Not, I could be wrong about this, but until someone has another explanation, I'm going with this. That these relic neutrinos, they're quantum entangled. They all were created at the same time in the universal history, and they are. You project these out. They're called cold neutrinos. They're projected from your body, and you're absorbing them from the universe. So it's another avenue for this type of you know uh kind of non-obvious communication that we have with each other non-physical
0: if only the amazing randy were still around and offering up that one million dollar prize uh do you remember that way if you could pr- uh, you know provide uh solid proof yeah yeah did normal, he pass on did i miss
2: this uh, i, I uh, maybe I, I should check but i, I don't the
0: prize is still around
2: anymore but i think you're on yeah, the he, of solving so people that i know didn't want to take him up on that because they he wanted to be the one to judge the results so he would always have a way to get out of it it wasn't going to be independently judged but i think we have a basis in physics and cosmology i mean relic neutrinos there's debate around it it's they haven't been detected directly because they're like a type of dark matter i mean they are not easy to detect you can only detect them gravitationally but people have created experiments. Alexander Parkomov, a former Soviet, now Russian scientist, one of the top scientists there in their nuclear uh, research labs, created a device. And, and he could see a difference that this device was detecting based on the position of the earth, moon, and sun, which would again suggest something that's streaming from the, the, the far reaches of the cosmos, but it's gravitationally lensed by things like the moon and the sun and he he suggested that we're absorbing these all the time. The estimates of the relic neutrinos I mean this kind of sounds esoteric, but it's important you're you know you're in contact with about ten million per second, so there's a lot of them they're big, they're slow, and it's another avenue for interaction between chemical biological processes, you know human bodies and so forth from a distance in this could easily be an explanation for pk which i've personally seen too and i know from again someone who was in pretty uh position to know within the department of defense th- th- this is a real effect uh and you can move things at a distance bend things at a distance uh yuri geller was the example of someone who could do this
0: uh, we'll uh, we'll take another time out Simeon, come back. Uh, incidentally, James Randi passed away in, in 2020, so
2: you see? Okay.
0: The, uh, the million dollars no longer up for grabs. <laughs> back with uh, more of our conversation in just a few moments right here on Strange Planet.
1: The truth will set you free. free, free, free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
0: We are back with Dr. Simeon Hine. Dark matter monsters, cryptids, ball lightning, and the science of secret life forms is uh, the latest. So we were talking about resonance and neutrinos. Um, Does that, can these things, resonance, subtle energy, also explain crop circles?
2: Yeah. Good question. I think to some extent, yes, at least in terms of the effects of these crop circles on our on our equipment, electronics and so forth. I mean, uh, my interest in crop circles came out of RV because I did a session on a crop circle in 96 at the Farsight Institute. And I didn't even know what a crop circle was in 1996. So I just felt like I should go over to the UK and see what these were, you know, just because I had done an interesting RV session. And I immediately saw evidence of electromagnetic effects from these crop circles. I didn't know what was making them. And as I wrote about in Opening Minds, my first book, uh, it was kind of a shock to find out that people were making some of these at least, right? right? But they had learned how to do this, but it didn't really matter as much as I thought because they would report strange effects on their cameras and batteries. I was out with one group. We had paid a farmer to make a small circle on his property. And our laser stopped working uh, that we were going to use to kind of mark the outside of the, the pattern. And, and, and this has been reported many times. I've seen it happen three times in half an hour, different devices as people walked in, stopped working. And I've documented this. its I put a YouTube, if people go to my YouTube channel, they can see my playlist. When I've been there. I, I used to go on crop circle tours. I've led crop circle tours until COVID, until recently. And we would see this with our own groups. People, uh, People's cameras, batteries would stop working. At one time, a fellow came back from a circle we'd been in and the key, he put the key in his hotel room and it bent oh. like it was soft. Wow. Now that, Richard, that is consistent with these relic neutrinos because they can interact with electronics in really strange ways. And it does suggest that the crop circles, because they're in a circular symmetrical pattern, they're interacting with a deeper level of the electromagnetic uh, spectrum. Uh, you could call it to- toroidal magnetic moments. Uh, there, it, It's something I go into in dark matter monsters, but what we found is that certain shapes, can tap into the zero point field. And this comes out of classified Soviet research that I just found out about earlier this year, way back in the 90s, where they knew that certain symmetrical patterns uh, could impact uh, life and electronics in very interesting ways. They call it electromagnetic phantoms. And these phantoms, they're a carload of ball lightning. They ha- they do- they're not always visible, but I think they're active in crop circles. Now, what makes them, crop circles are made by a lot of things. Let's just, I mean, they, they go back quite a few decades. And I've spoken to witnesses that have seen UFOs leave patterns behind in meadows and, and, and things like that. And the original crop circles go back to the Tully saucer nests in Australia. They have a UFO connection. They are related to atmospheric phenomena plasmas and so forth. People have seen them after thunderstorms and people started making them in the late eighties, Doug and Dave and other groups that I got to know. Uh, but the interesting thing for me is that once the pattern's there, you're still going to get these real effects, which shows us there's something electromagnetically active about crop circles.
0: Remarkable. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned the plasma uh, and, and uh, was it, uh, the researcher Lefty Lefty Levingood talked about- uh, yeah plasma vortices vortices interacting with um well how do these plasma vortices result in a in a does i mean does the earth have some sort of an intelligence how does uh, do, how does yeah. it manipulate these plasma vortices to create fractals and these incredible mm-hmm. complex geometrical designs
2: uh, it's a really good question, and I never would have even imagined this, even as someone who studied fractals in my doctoral dissertation. I mean, that's what, see, this is sort of how it all linked up for me. My uh, my PhD dissertation was about using fractals as a way of kind of looking at systems, systems that are not linear, things that are not neat, the way reality really is, kind of messy and fractured and branching. And when I saw some of these fractal patterns in the crop circles, I mean, I was immediately kind of hooked by it, even just aesthetically. But what we learned from all the research is that plasmas, which are like a fourth state of matter, we're all familiar with them, like in fluorescent bulbs and lightning, it's the most common state of matter in the universe. All those nebula out there and dusty, dusty illuminated plasmas are the most abundant form in the universe, things that haven't turned into stars yet. But they're floating out there, and they're ionized, and we're all familiar with this. We, we, you know, every time you see lightning, you're seeing ionized gases. But what's really interesting, Richard, is that that those plasmas can self-organize into a fifth state of matter called ball lightning, and they do this. People, I'm sure there are listeners out there that have encountered ball lightning. I've only seen it once uh, near a crop circle, not quite in it. It only lasted a few seconds. It's a a self-organized state of matter. And what people are wondering who study this is it seems to act like a life form. And people who've been around ball lightning, Richard, seem to feel like it's intelligent. Now, I don't know if it is or if it's just very sensitive to static gradients, which is why it can move down the aisle of an airplane, staying right between the seats and things like that. But it often seems to be sort of intelligent the way it kind of plays cat and mouse with you. And people that researchers seem to think that these charge clusters create the conditions that perpetuate them even further. So it's a really interesting subject. And I think it's an important part of this this puzzle here. And certainly some crop circles are related to plasmas in the atmosphere that are around thunderstorms and so forth. Well, lightning uh,
0: they're often reported near train tracks. Why is that?
2: Right. So ball lightning is a type of compressed matter. It's one step past plasmas. That's it's even more compressed. You could call it a charge cluster. Or some Kenneth Shoulders, one of the people that worked at SRI, I think he was in the RV program initially, doing so helping out. He invented a lot of uh, work in microelectronics. That's part of our electronics now. He called them exotic vacuum objects because he felt they were tapping into the kind of the quantum vacuum. And he described them in his writings. People can look it up online. Ken Shoulders, Kenneth R. Shoulders. He passed away a number of years ago due to the radiation, uh, you know, unfortunate effects of being around these charge clusters a lot. But um, these charge clusters are self-organized. And when you're anything that compresses matter, it could be earthquake faults. It could be train tracks. It could be you walking across the rug you're going to create some charge clusters. They may not be very long-lived and maybe microscopic, but they can grow and under certain conditions, they can perpetuate themselves and float around. And they're seen around crop circles too, which again, I think has something to do with the fractal and symmetrical nature of the plant material once it's organized in a spiral. They are seen around cryptids, which is one of the reasons I wrote Dark Matter Monsters. I was so surprised to find ball lightning around uh, Bigfoot sightings, but there's a Miwok Indian saying for the Indians from Northern California, they would say, Wherever a Bigfoot walks, a lantern follows. Ah, yeah, so this goes back a long ways. Why it's new to us, I'm not sure. It's like we forgot a lot of reality, Richard. The, the universe has this basic sort of or self organizing. Quality to it, and it likes to create ball lightning and compressed uh, charge clusters. So that's why you see them around earthquakes, uh, tectonic faults, railroad tracks, and other locations. But the fact that uh, they're seen around crop circles and cryptids—I mean—that gives us a clue that there's some fundamental type of matter that is related to coherent, coherent life and. The one thing that ball lightning is, it's coherent. Those particles are at the same frequency and the same temperature, which is why they can compress the way they do. And they can do a lot of really interesting things. I mean, Shoulders talked about using them for teleportation. They're a quantum state of matter, microscopic quantum state of matter.
0: Fascinating. I mean, I, I hesitate to call things like resonance and subtle energy and you know plasma as prosaic uh, as a prosaic explanation, because I mean these are these are spectacular and fascinating, but I, these all may hold the key to explaining much of what we now consider to be paranormal or supernatural activity. Ball lightning, you know, not Bigfoot, often yeah. confused with uh, a UFO. Uh, right.
2: Yeah. There, there is Richard, and I've never used this phrase before, but I'm going to use it on your show for the first time. There's a coherency continuum. And at one level, you have ball lightning, which is very coherent, a type of matter where everything's at the same frequency and temperature. And it's kind of like one big electron, you know, because everything is kind of it's this was forecast by Bose and Einstein in 1924 called the Bose Einstein condensate. It wasn't seen until 20, 70 years later, right here in Boulder at the NIST labs at the University of Colorado. But they only saw it at really cold temperatures, like near absolute zero. But What shoulders and others were saying is you don't just get it at absolute zero. You get it at room temperature. And once you have a coherent quantum object, we're not talking about, you know, subatomic anymore, quantum entanglement just between one particle. We're talking about a big particle or everything's kind of given up its identity. That's at one extreme. And there seem to be life forms and interesting effects that we call paranormal at that coherent extreme. And the other levels where it's less coherent, like where we live most of the time, where things have individual identities. And, and, and I don't think our life would work properly if things didn't have sort of colors and shapes and textures that sort of remain constant. But they don't have to be like that. They have another level where they're much more interactive at a quantum state. I mean, that's what the Bose-Einstein content state shows. It's just that it can also it can exist at room temperature.
0: Well, Simeon, this is going to serve as a, a primer for what I hope will be our, our only our first conversation of many. This has been absolutely fascinating. I'm so glad uh, we connected. I met you and I had a chance to talk to you. This is absolutely mind-blowing stuff. And you uh, you explain it in such a way that even someone who basically bailed out of science after grade 10 chemistry can understand.
2: Oh, well, thanks very much, Richard. I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun and there's a lot more for all of us to learn here, but that's my best take on it. You know as of today so thanks uh, thanks for talking about it well if the amazing randy is up there listening
0: uh, i think <laughs> you should get the million dollar prize oh thank you dr simian hein simian darkmattermonsters.com all the links are in the
1: episode notes a new richard sarah's strange planet drops every monday wednesday and friday subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com